Welcome, everybody, to episode eight of Casting the Net with Father Dave and Rick. This week is part two of the Roe versus Wade discussion, as well as jumping into sort of a transition discussing Catholic understanding of the moral life. So another great episode. We hope you enjoy it. Episode eight, Casting the Net. Hi, I'm Father Dave Nuss, together with Father of Four, Rick Lingva. Welcome to Casting the Net. We are in search for catching the faith. Hi, everyone. I'm Father Dave Nuss, priest and pastor of Christ the King Parish in Toledo, together with my brother in Christ, Rick Lingvai, a husband, a father of four children, a member of Little Flower Parish in Toledo. We are casting the net, <laughs> seeking to look through the eyes of faith at the signs of the times. Why do we do this? Well, we do this because we want to be ever more in service of the gospel. Rick, what in the world are we talking about today? Well, we're going to continue our discussion of um, the overturning of Roe versus Wade and then transition into a broader look at uh, the Catholic understanding of the moral life. I can't wait to hear what the Holy Spirit is going to bring forth in this conversation. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> so almost Holy Spirit, just come and be with us and just bless this conversation. Bless all of those who are listening in ways that sharpens our, our eyes of faith as we live in a world that is broken, that is fallen, that is hurting, that is wounded, that so needs to hear the gospel truth of life and love so that we can be in service of the gospel. And we ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, last week it was, a, I guess, a serious conversation, although I think all of our conversations are, they have a level of seriousness to so. them. Yeah. A substance, right. meaning. Right. Yeah. Um, at least discussions of the utmost importance. I think I, so. I, I, yeah. Not to give us too much credit. But. <laughs> So some further thoughts from from last week. Something else that popped into my mind um, when the Dobbs decision came down was uh, an occasion with my daughter, uh, Corinne, who is she's she's almost nine now. Um, but at the time we, we, we this, on this particular Sunday morning when we rolled into Little Flower Parish parking lot, she noticed uh, some signs in the yard. Um, that said respect unborn life or, or protect mm. unborn life or something mm. along those lines. Mm. And, of course, she didn't know what those signs were referring to. And so she asked me. And so I was I was thrust into this uh, rather unexpected, maybe a little uncomfortable position of, of having to explain. As you're coming into church. As we're coming into church. As, as I'm worried about, you know, just wrangling. <laughs> just getting in there. <laughs> wrangling three kids into, at that time it was three, three kids into church and, you know, keeping them just keeping the natives happy, I guess, but, um, having wow. to explain abortion to her. Wow. Um, and I, I thought I did it in a pretty straightforward, I did, I didn't give her, you know, all the graphic details, of course, and the, the bloody truth of it. But, um, I, I, I was, I was straightforward with her and she was, uh, she was understandably appalled mm. and reflecting on it now, I, I think, gosh, well, of course she is. She hasn't reached an age yet where she can rationalize evil, or she hadn't at that point. Now, now she can sure. a little bit, but um, at the time, she she was incapable of rationalizing evil. 
that doesn't mean every single thing that came out of her mouth um, on, mor- on moral issues was was <laughs> truth or, or sound. Virtuous. Or, yeah, virtuous, <laughs> right. Of course not. But um, she just intuitively understood that what was happening in an abortion was, was abhorrent um, because she hadn't reached a point in her psychological development and her moral development where she could let her emotions um, distort um, the truth. Which, which wow. is what a rationalization is. I mean, we, wow. we do that all the time. Rather, rather in the Catholic view of, of the moral life, the idea is to use our reason to grasp ourselves, like what, what we are as, as human creatures made in the image of God, to grasp the world around us, and then to kind of um, tailor our emotions and our desires to those things that we've just grasped with reason, those things that we recognize as good for us. Um, rationalizing is when it, we, we, we get that the other way around. Mm. Our emotions kind of run wild. Mm. They control our mm. reason, mm. Um, and they lead us down dangerous paths, problematic paths. Um, Corinne, at the time, wasn't old enough to do that. And so, it, of course, she, she could see the truth of it. She could see with pretty clear eyes that what, what, uh, what happens in an abortion is, uh, is um, you know, not to a grave one, offense. A grave offense, a murder. Yeah, and a, and a, and a violence that um, whose, um, whose impact is... Um, devastating mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right for all involved in the right. violence most especially the life itself that is sacrificed of course of course yeah but the mother suffers too and i think of that's course. Uh, she did she may not recognize it but um but that's an important point to think about as well um, and it's really instructive for our view of the moral life too um when we perform an immoral act we are both perpetrator and victim mm. perpetrator because we, we've freely chosen to do something immoral but even if even if um even if no one outside of ourselves suffer uh we suffer because we've done something that is degrading to us as people made in the image of god um something that frustrates us becoming the sort of creature we were made to be so it's in in a real way sin sin is a great tragedy yeah yeah there's no 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 doubting about that i was imagining you know last time talking about how the ultimate goal is that abortion and other um, other violent actions are just so unappealing to do, so unappealing to do. Perhaps that's a bit romantic or idyllic, though there's something um, extraordinary when I think about possibilities of working towards that, laboring towards that. How could our parishes be such great communities of love that we... We would, we would welcome into our midst those who are so adversely affected mm. in a way that seeks to help and to heal. Mm-hmm. You know, at, at uh, your parish, Rick, at Little Flower Parish, I'm thinking back to a different time, and that different time was with the cooperative partnering with a local uh, organization that is dedicated to helping the severely disabled. Hmm. And there was a tremendous um, accomplishment that was done Mm -hmm. with Little Flower and Sunshine Home uh, with the building of two new group homes uh, proximate to the parish in ways that the parish helped to make happen. And with that became the personalization of people who are they're defined as medically fragile, mm-hmm. severely disabled, incapable of caring for themselves autonomously. Mm-hmm. And 
it wasn't a concept anymore or something that was out there or unfamiliar, but in your parish has become something that is very familiar, in fact, with relationships being made, mm-hmm. and, and not only with residents, also with family and those who care for them. Right. So there's something about this for our parishes to continue to respond in this moment, yep. not of judgment and condemnation and dismissal, but doubling down on being the instrument of mercy and the instrument of love that Christ expects of each and every one of us. Absolutely, absolutely. And it's, it's such an important point to remember, but it's, it's also um, such a difficult thing to practice now, given the times that we live in. Yeah. I mean, everything is polarized. Yeah. Everything is us There's against them. There's such an emotional pitch. Everything, everyone who is not like me is an enemy. Um, as Christians, we have no enemies. Well, we do. We, we have, have one. one enemy. Uh, right? We do have an enemy. We do. And what I want to recognize is that person who's coming at me isn't the enemy. Right. The, um, you know, the, the person who commits the sin that I find so disgusting is, is not my enemy. Yes. Yes. Um, he is my brother or sister whom I am to love, and I am to help that person understand the destruction they're doing to themselves. And lest I forget... The God of the universe loves that person. Yep. Every bit as much as the God of the universe loves me and loves you. Right. And that's one of the marvelous things about the Christian understanding of the human person or Christian anthropology is the fancy theological term for it. Every human being, our dignity doesn't come from what we do. Yes. It comes from what we are. Yes. You know, and that was one of the revolutionary things about Christianity early on is that the, 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 the poor person living in the slums of Rome was every bit as important as Caesar himself um, because that poor person in the, living in the slums of Rome was made in the image of God, redeemed by Christ, and destined to see God one day. And so is the woman who has procured the abortion or her partner who talked her into it or, or the doctor who performed it. And we are to see others in that light. It's, it's, I mean, it's, it's not an option. It's, it's, it's a demand. It it's, is. It's placed it is. at our feet. It is. It's a hallmark of the intentional disciple of yeah. the mature Christian. Right. That's the eyes of faith that frame understanding the signs of the time. That before all else is brother and sister in Christ. Then what follows is the, the, the commands that Christ gives us to be able to recognize one another in such a way. And to ask, okay, Lord, in this moment... What is it that you're, what is it that you're asking of me, for benefit of those who are in need of mercy? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this isn't a victory lap to, to take. To take, although we absolutely want to give thanks and praise to God for a deliverance that, as I shared last week, I, 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 I wasn't sure it was going to happen in my lifetime. In fact, yeah, I would say I. I sort of resigned to that. I didn't think it would happen. So I do want to thank and praise God. For, for his patience and his perseverance and mercy that he's given to us uh, in spite of all of the other atrocities that we have perpetuated. He's shown us mercy in this instance and mercy given to the least vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And then also to be, uh, to be um, d- passionately committed and resolute in shaping our communities of faith that we call parishes and our communities of our our base community of faith that we call families mm-hmm. to be 
inflamed with love, which is a self-outpouring. It's a recognition of other in need. It's responding as we possibly can. It's praying uh, faithfully and, and regularly for healing that is so needed. And, of course, responding with support and encouragement and not condemnation and degradation. Right, right. I think um, maybe, maybe, maybe listeners might be maybe not frustrated, but, but wondering why we're not laying out more concrete details or, or concrete instructions about what to do when you encounter somebody who, who needs love, like a woman considering an abortion or a doctor who, who is thinking about or has performed them. It's because it's, it's, it's hard to, to do unless we know the concrete situation that we're, 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 we're diagnosing, so to speak. Mm-hmm. But, that's, but that's why being plugged into the church's liturgical life, receiving the sacraments frequently, prayer, reflection on the scriptures is so important because it will make you it will give you a dexterity yes so that when you're in those situations you will know what to do yes it's hard for us to lay out details now in the abstract well it's without without a series of sound bites right to memorize absolutely and to uh voice ultimately it's it's the movement of the spirit within you and the spirits frequently um spontaneous and to match to match the situations that we find ourselves in Yes, very much so. That it's intensely particular and personal in that pati- in that in that way. It's not a manual to follow, yeah. right? And that's why we discussed it last episode. That um, you know, morality from the Catholic perspective isn't a matter of isn't simply a matter of commandments and rules and laws, because that view of morality isn't conducive to just daily life. Yes, you know, um, love your neighbor. Well, how much? <laughs> what's that, what's that, what's that going to look like in this situation? You know, um, we need more than just commandments and laws and rules. And that's, that's what the Catholic moral tradition offers. Yeah. The um, shaping of the individual for the end, for the community so that they can experience uh, excellence so that they can flourish in happiness mm-hmm. so that that meaning for which we've been made comes to be experienced. Amen. Friends, I'm father Dave. He's Rick, a priest and a dad trying to become better fathers, trying to be more cheerful disciples, inviting you to join us in our continuing adventure. Always with God's help, we're casting the net. Friends, he's Rick, and I'm Father Dave, a dad and a priest, together trying to become better fathers by catching Christian faith. Thanks for joining us for our conversation, and we hope that you'll connect with us next week for Casting the Net.